Hi, Erica. Um, thank you so much for joining me today. Hello, hello. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Of course. So I just want to basically go over why I decided to reach out to you for my listeners, which is that I thought that your profile was really impressive. In the instructional design community, we focus so much on visual graphics and design. And I wondered how you'd be able to teach people who are actually visually impaired. I wanted to know what kind of processes you go through, any frameworks that you actually follow, and just what even got you started on your journey and why you're interested in helping that subsection of society. Without further ado, I'll go into more detail later as we get to learn more about you. But first of all, explain a bit more about your um, educational background and what made you interested in educating those who have visual impairments. Okay, well, um, I actually have an undergraduate degree in um, just elementary education. And after interning in elementary education, it's it's kind of shallow, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I just kind of felt like special ed was more of something like a smaller group for instruction of students would be a little bit more appropriate for me because I did the larger group. I interned in a fourth grade classroom. We went through all the testing and all of the rigor of being a an elementary school teacher. And I said, wow, this, this seems like a lot, <laughs> you know, just for me uh, being able to be more hands on with students. Um, I just felt like it was cattle herd in a sense that I just kind of um, had this lesson that I had to throw out to all of these children of different abilities. And I just didn't see where everybody was catching on. But I did see the impact that the special ed teacher had when she would come in and pull her small group uh, to work with them and reinforce some of the lessons that I had taught. And I said, well, I think I like that because I like seeing results that are a little bit more immediate. And if not so much immediate, but you can see the impact a little bit better with the smaller group. So that's when I decided to go back to school uh, and I have my master's degree in visual disabilities. And once again, I was looking for a small group type special ed experience. I was interested in um, hearing impairment, um, I was interested in sign language, teaching anything around that um, area, but I ended up, it's just, it's just an interesting story. I walked onto Florida State's campus, I went into the Department of Ed, uh, I asked whoever was at the front desk, I said, hey, I'm interested in um, a career in special education in the following areas, and I kind of laid those out. And the lady said, well, the person for, you know, the hearing program is not here, but we have someone from visual disabilities. Would you like to talk to her? And I said, sure. It was literally that walked in, asked, you know, that question, met the person that's over the um, that was over the visual disabilities program at Florida State. She said, we have money <laughs> for you to go to school. We'll pay for your master's. It will be free. Oh, wow. Yeah, everything was free. And she said, if you're interested in just giving it a shot, you know, go ahead and do it. And that's literally how I walked into visual disabilities. Mind you, uh, visual impairments run in my family on my mother's side. So my mother's father was completely blind when he mm -hmm. became an adult. His sister was blind. His nephew was completely blind. So I had blindness in my family, but it just never occurred to me that it could be a career. So that's the long and short of it. I kind of walked 
<laughs> into it. I walked into it blindly, pun intended. <laughs> It's actually amazing because now you explain your background, I have even more questions. Yeah. I'm starting off, even when you said that teaching children is kind of difficult to see the impact because everyone's at different stages of learning. I experienced the exact same thing. You could follow a curriculum and you could try to grab their attention and implement it. But sometimes some students are already maybe fluent in a language or they're already competent or literate. And then others are not. And what you'd really have to realize is just a matter of time. Mm -hmm. But when you're speaking about time, then it affects how someone judges your impact as a teacher. Because there's always a lag when someone's learning and then there's a huge increase. So it doesn't really reflect on you and your abilities. Mm -hmm. So when you have something like a disability, although not everyone has the same disability, of course, it gives you something objective to measure against. Right, right. And also... When it comes to learning styles, because you said you were also interested in those who had difficulty in hearing. Yes. Did you ever realize from your family members who were blind or from those you had met who had hearing impairments that their learning styles altered or the way they went about getting new information was different or more unique than you would have approached it? So to clarify, you said the question is, as it relates to people with hearing impairments and visual impairments, the approach yes. for to learning. Um, so I've had limited experience with um, individuals with hearing impairment, um, but I do run across them because you do have some blind people that are deaf blind. Mm. That in itself, two sensory disorders and one is a totally different uh, approach than someone with just a hearing impairment or just a visual impairment. So you have several different uh, routes that you can take um, from just like the basic ex exposure to people with uh, hearing impairments. I would say that a lot of their learning has to, if if they have normal vision, that's considering, right? A lot of the approach would have to be more visual, more modeling, visual modeling, right? in just general in their environment. I've even seen where some students, I think this is really nice, <laughs> where some students have interpreters that know sign language. And then now some school systems, because of the shortage in the area of um, hearing impairments, they have interpreters show up on the computer. So the student has a laptop, for example, a Chromebook in our county, and he has his Chromebook open like pretty much all day and during the school day and the interpreter is on the camera and she's or she or he is listening to what's going on in the classroom. And I noticed that the interpreter is just interpreting chit chat. So if there are students in the back at the back table or nearby the student just kind of chit chatting about random topics or the teacher makes a comment, they are interpreting all of it. So the student is still included, right? Mm -hmm. in what's going on instead of I'm just going to interpret this lesson. And you know what I mean? There's there's a way that they incorporate it, but I thought that was really interesting the way that took place. And then of course you have some that have hearing aids and other um, mild hearing loss and they have to have you know speaker systems in the classroom environment. So it just depends the gamut, it runs the gamut when it comes to the hearing piece. But I think it's amazing to make sure that you include um, that people try to actually interpret conversation that's happening in the class because mm -hmm. that is what puts all the main information into context. Yes. And I have noticed 
over the years, it could be on TV or in real life, that when it comes to dealing with those with impairments, they just mm -hmm. try to um, summarize whatever's been discussed and then put it in a sentence for them. Right. right. And it's not accurate. No, and it is. It's like that a lot. Yeah. And I feel it even affects the depth at which someone can think about certain issues because nothing is yeah. put into context at all. Right, right. And, and on the heels of that, when you asked about the visually impaired person, if someone has limited vision or even no vision, right, completely blind, um, the environment, um, they can hear everything. Say they have normal hearing or normal hearing and they can hear everything. But you have to consider that they're, when they're in a room or in an environment where things are taking place, it, for example, if you were to close your eyes and I said, hey, give me that. Now, the blind person doesn't know if you're talking to them. They don't know if you're talking to another student. And what is that? So I always remind teachers, please use more language for our uh, visually impaired uh, students. So instead of saying, hey, give me that, Johnny, please give me the book. Just add a few more words in there. Now the blind student has context. They're included in what's going on. And when they have these vivid conversations, when they go home with their parents and their family, they say, oh, today Johnny was in trouble. He needed to give the teacher a book. And, you know, they can kind of keep up with the culture of what's going on in the classroom. So that's just yet yeah, another example. Mm. These are I really love these points because these are things that go over my head often. We're used to um, visual signals of just pointing Yes. Or sometimes even using volume and assuming that if you just face a certain way, someone will know exactly who you're referencing. And right. even for those who are fully abled, it's not obvious. Right. I could face someone and say, hey, but then if it's a region of the class where 15 people are sitting, it right. means the person who feels most guilty. Right. <laughs> has to say, oh, me? Right. Yeah. Yes, that's true. That is true. Mm hmm. So. Yeah, to even go forward on that point, as I asked you beforehand, is there a particular method that you have created from your personal experience teaching those with limited abilities on what could help them progress faster in their learning journeys compared to what we're always faced with, which is the ADI model that you said you sometimes use? Kirkpatrick's not as much, but, you know, any others that you know of? So, yes, um, when it comes to the ADDI model, it involves analysis, design, development, implementation, and evaluation. So that process itself is very thorough. I have used it. I am new to instructional design. So when I was creating lessons and courses during uh, my training or through, through my, I guess my learning experience, uh, I did implement ADDI. But I found myself leaning more toward UDL, a universal uh, design for learning, which will help the demographic that I work with. So yes, we can go Addy um, in step or in order or even mix up the steps when it comes to Addy, which I use as a framework. But UDL will help me to make it more general mm. for various and diverse learners. Can you give an example of how that may differ in practice? So... UDL allows all students to have the opportunity to access learning. So here's an example. I created a course for teachers of visual with teachers that teach students with visual impairments, right? So that was the course that I worked on during my training. And I deployed the course to several teachers 
And the, the out of the four that took the course, two were visually impaired adult learners. Okay. And the other two were, you know, didn't have any visual disabilities or anything that I'm aware of. Okay. So I, once I deployed the course, I had thought that I implemented everything. I put everything in there that was descriptive. Okay. Here's my video content. It has descriptive text. I also gave them some instructional guidance at the beginning of my course on how to access audio how to enlarge text, et cetera. But the barrier was I'm using a platform that they're not familiar with. So I had to, of course, give the course information out early, like a week or two early before I deployed it just to have them to, you know, get familiar. But with learners that have a job and family obligations, a lot of them were not able to, you know, get on to, or, or start the process early. So I gave them the syllabus and said, here are some things to consider before we start the course. This is how we use this, this, and this. And a lot of them did not access it. So when the course actually started, that's when I got a ton of questions. Um, another learning curve that I didn't realize is that a lot of, it was like a lot of overload they explained because yet they have a full-time job and they're trying to work through this two-week course that had a lot of hands-on um, requirements. One of the requirements, something that I did not think because I am a creator, I have a YouTube channel, I've been using video for a long, long time. One thing I didn't consider is that although adults have devices such as iPhones and iPads, they use it for what they use it for, to look at news, to look at videos, to send emails, but the create, creative side they didn't use. So one of my assignments was for them to create a, like a PowerPoint or a presentation. I just said presentation because I want to leave it open. However you want to do it. If you want to do a PowerPoint, if you want to do a video recording, et cetera. And I had a little tutorial included. You know, I'm thinking they should be able to do this, watch the tutorial and then do the project. Mm. Uh, I had to, I had to, to have one-on-one -on -one sessions with some of the visually impaired people because they said, we heard your video, we saw it, but, you know, with limited vision or with all the modifications, but we still don't understand it. So I had to meet one-on-one -on -one to explain in more depth. There is a little button on the bottom that is green. When you click on it, that's the button that will allow you to do such and such. You know, I had to use more descriptive language, although I thought, oh, a video's there. They have low vision. They can just zoom in and they'll see it. They'll hear it and they'll know it. Now, the layout itself was mm -hmm. a hang up for them because there are a lot of drop down menus they're not aware of. There's just so much learning, uh, there's a learning curve to just learning how to make presentations or videos in the first place. So that was like a big eye opener for me. Exactly. And I think um, as well, when you talk about people trying to follow videos when they're visually impaired, mm -hmm. even feeling that they can pace themselves to find certain things on the screen, I think mm -hmm. is of a comfort to them. Right, right. I don't know if you've ever noticed this in your teaching experience, but sometimes people can address others in a way that would make their disability more noticeable. For instance, if someone has a visual impairment and they're trying to watch a YouTube video on how to create a YouTube video, quite meta, 
if they're looking for this button and let's say in your description, you're like, okay, yeah, you found the button onto the next step. They feel so rushed and it reminds them of the fact that they are slow because they cannot see that very well. That's correct. And it becomes a point of pain. Right. And you could easily adjust that just by saying, okay, you see this button. Okay. Let's see if you can find it. Mm-hmm. Not in a patronizing way, but give them 10 right. seconds. Okay. Right. If you haven't found it, try doing this to see if you can see it. Right. You got it? Okay, good. Let's move forward. Right. And that's exactly it. Just giving them more wait time. Therefore, they did request extended time, which mm-hmm. is a, a standard accommodation for all of our students that are visual impaired. But these, again, are individuals that are adults that are working, that are visually impaired and taking a course. So they too needed the extended time because it's hard enough for them to do their daily job. And then we say, okay, now it's time to take this course that relates to your job. And as a result, um, they did kind of struggle a little bit more with some of the concepts and not only the visual impaired, even individuals without disabilities or visual disabilities. Mm-hmm. They too required some additional handholding through the process because again, you can't just assume because a person uses a device or has used a computer or has taken a course that they know how to do elements within the course or, or assignments that you put in the course. So for me to just assume because I know how to edit, they should know how to edit. You, anybody can make a PowerPoint, you would say, right, in your mind. If you're a teacher, you should be a master at it, but not all teachers use PowerPoints. Not all teachers use those, you know, methods to teach their students. Totally different situation when (laughs) you have to scale back and then teach a skill on top of teaching a skill. So sometimes when you come across hiccups, when you teach people things, Mm -hmm. whether it be kids or adults, how do you appreciate the sensitivities that are involved in them being visually impaired or have any impairments, in fact, and integrate that with your teaching style? Do they ever feel like they can't approach you concerning certain things because maybe they are afraid of you being condescending? Not you in particular, but then, you know, that dynamic. I got you. Yeah. Um. So I opened the door initially when I invited them to take the course. I made sure to include in my syllabus, you know, that if you need any help, if you have, you know, certain needs, and I just kind of put exam- examples like extended time, this, 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 I kind of put it in there. Mm-hmm. I said, please let me know. Um, and they did approach me. They didn't have a problem approaching me. One, he was working on it so late in the afternoon, it was after hours, and he uh, called me. He was like, I am so sorry for calling you after hours. He said, I hope you're not mad at me. I said, I'm not mad. I am so grateful that you are taking the time to take this course. But he was one of the individuals that had a question about how to create the PowerPoint or to how to create his visual uh, presentation. And I was more than happy to help him. And I wanted to always, and I, in my weekly communication and emails to my little subgroup that I, um, that was taking my course, I said, please let me know if you have any questions. Please reach out if you have any questions, because I wanted to make sure that they had the best experience and to learn the content, because eventually what they were learning was is going to help their students in the future. Right. It's going to help them once they learn the accessibility that's necessary to use um, to teach kids 
uh, with visual disabilities, then when they teach it to their students, their students will become more independent. They can move on and, you know, uh, kind of work in tangent with their, their peers. They'll be like on par with their peers is the hope, right? So mm -hmm. now that the teacher uh, sends out a, an assignment online and says, hey, I posted a link to an article. I need you to read it. The seventh grader doesn't have that's visual visually impaired doesn't have to say oh can you read it to me they can say okay great they grab it from wh whatever platform they're on they open up accessibility they have the article read to them or they enlarge it or they modify it in a way that they can access it independently mm -hmm. so that was the whole you know premise of me creating that like there's a trickle effect Teacher is informed, teacher learns, teacher teaches child, child teaches the classroom teacher, maybe family members, they can use it going forward. And when you build a, a basis of learning or a um, just have the base skills for entering, uh, for accessing a, um, features on a device, for example, with the iPad, once you learn voiceover or once you learn how to use spoken content or whatever, any updates that come after that, you're going to learn it quickly. Okay, we still have the basis for using this product or this these features, but now they've added that it can highlight. I don't know. I'm just making that mm -hmm. up. It already highlights, but I'm just giving you an example. Now they've added highlighting. So I'm using the same skills, but now I just have a smaller learning curve and I can now adjust the highlighting of this feature. Yeah. yeah. I think if the key... And what you've mentioned, which I'd love to outline to people, is the independence. Yes. Like a lot of people think education is about just learning the skill, but you're not really educated if you can't go out and figure things out for yourself. And that's where a lot of people carry learning anxiety with them. They yes. may be learning how to drive and they have that learning anxiety, but I believe a lot of anxiety that comes when it comes to approaching new skills is the fact that you don't have a sense of independence on how you break down a task to its root and learn right. it from the beginning. Because if you right. truly felt that you could do that, you wouldn't be so scared. Yeah, yes. you'd be nervous, as you know, like first time nerves and yeah. everything. But the way that I've seen people, even me, when I panicked, for instance, when I first started to drive, it's the disbelief that things are actually simple and they have a core element to how they should be learned. Because if you right. understand that and you just calm down, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's where the independence comes in and you'll know that you can tackle anything that comes along that's correct but in that in our current education system we're not taught that we're taught that each skill is an individual and separate thing when you look at different cultures they have different ways of teaching mm -hmm. and at least what I've learned in many eastern cultures is that they tell you that you never really learn a new thing you break it down to its foundation again. Everything in this world is broken down to its foundation again. So there's nothing you have not seen before. Right. That's true. But here we're taught that we're always seeing things for the first time. So we get scared and we don't want to do it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That is very true. I, I did see that in a lot of the learners that I worked with. Definitely. But, you know, thankfully the tide is turning. The information age that we're in now allows you to have things at your fingertips that you once didn't have. If you need a tutorial on how to do X, Y, or Z, you can go to YouTube University, right? <laughs> and you can kind of learn the skills. And that's kind of what I focus on on my um, YouTube channel. 
Um, I do have a lot of smaller tutorials on there for um, accessibility features. Even though you can find it on other channels, it's my audience and I share it with the people that follow me. And a lot of comments I get say, oh, wow, I didn't know my phone could do that. I didn't know that. I, you know, so I just I, I just want to be that that light in the dark tunnel. Right. Where you feel like, oh, well, I can't or I don't understand. I try to break it down into uh, pieces where the learner can learn to build skills from a certain base as well as other people can develop an awareness. Right. Because people have iPhones in their pockets and Androids in their pockets every day. And they didn't know that the phones could speak or that, you know, they had magnification on there. There's so many things, even people without disabilities. I use the magnification app all the time when I get instructions from my Amazon package. And I'm like, what does this thing say? And I was, oh, okay. I know how to use those things in a functional way. So it's beneficial all the way around, you know, depends on the user, but yeah, there are a lot of benefits. Oh, and please let me know what your um, YouTube channel is as well, so I can link it. Sure. It's e-learning with Erica. So it's just e-learning with Erica. So I guess you can do the at or you could do youtube.com. And then I think it's the forward slash at e-learning at Erica with Erica. Sorry, but I'll definitely send you the link. All right. Wonderful. So, yeah, we've actually come to the end of all of our questions. So I want to thank you so much for joining me today. I've really learned a lot about how you teach people with different abilities, how you respect them during the learning process. And like I said, my favorite word for today was independence. Yes. And showing people that they can do this learning process on their own. And it's not a whole different mountain to climb. It is not. It is not. And I, I thank you so much. Miriam for reaching out to me and asking me to be a part of this conversation. So thank you so much. And it's very nice to meet you from across the pond. Bye-bye. Have a good night. You too.